Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. This is Seth Gilliam. Hey, this is Holland Roden. My name is Kiahu Kahuanui. Hello, this is Ian Bowen. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio. I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hey, it's Ronnie Adams. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh! <laughs> this is Jeff Davis, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. To not another Teen Wolf podcast. This is our 80th episode, a nice round number to finish off season four. Season four, episode 12, Smoke and Mirrors, the finale, aired on Monday night. And uh, yeah, that's it. We're, we're done for the season. How does that feel, Karen? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really torn because we always look forward to hiatus because things are a little less crazy, but... Teen Wolf, I don't want it to be over yet. It feels weirdly fast. Like, it feels like, like you know, it was too much too quickly and, like, I don't know, just um, that, you know, obviously it's only a short a short season this, this year, but it all just feels very strange, really. Yeah, I keep saying that it feels like it just started, even though it was obviously several months ago, so yeah, I don't so, know. So I guess three three months, but for a show to only air, you know, three months out of the year, I think because we had such a, like, a short gap between, I guess, season um 3B and, and 4, well, kind of, we had, like, yeah, I guess only, like, it ended in, like, April or May, and then it was June, you know, coming back or yeah. whatever, so it was quite... You know the turnaround was was pretty pretty fast. So we have had a lot of Teen Wolf this year, and then we're not going to have any for pretty much a whole other year. So that the you know <laughs> the the flow of the timing, obviously because it's not a network like show, it's not like a full public channel show like you know on, that just has a, a set season that airs you know from September onwards, and you know for you know half a year basically. Yeah, it just feels very strange, you know, to just have these little quick bursts of Teen Wolf and then, you know, bye-bye for 11 months or 8 months or however long it's going to be. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll find something to do, you know. Yeah, I think we could put a couple things together. Yeah, perhaps we could start covering another show in the break instead. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just joking. Um, Yeah, let's do a podcast about Agent Carter. But anyway, okay. you're like, yeah, okay, don't, because this is how this show started, Karen. Remember? I know. <laughs> we just threatened 
We threatened and threatened, and then, uh, yeah, accidents happen. 80 episodes later, here we are. So, yeah. Uh, we're not allowed to start any podcasts as a joke anymore. Because what happens is it consumes your life, basically. <laughs> we get a little carried away. Yeah. All right. So we're not going to do that, but we are going to carry on with the recap of this episode and hopefully give you some nice Teen Wolf content, you know, content over the break of many, many months so that you don't forget about us and that you don't forget about the show and, you know, you keep entertained until then. If you want to get in touch with us, you know, after this episode with your thoughts on the finale or basically any time in the next foreseeable future that you have some thoughts <laughs> about Teen Wolf, uh, you can reach us on our Twitter, which is NATW Podcast. You can reach us on our email, which is natwpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on Tumblr, which is notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also comment on any of the hyperbole articles that come up about Teen Wolf. Um, we'll see that. At least one of us will see that. Or the actual podcast episode page on hyperbole as well. So, um, yeah, lots of ways you can get in touch. If you're feeling lost and alone in the void, you know, now that season four is over and we don't know, you know, what's coming next, basically. That was very morose and, you know, sounds like, a, you know, a self-help line or something like that. So, you know, a support network. But we try. Uh, I mean, that's not inaccurate. I suppose. Yeah. And I guess, you know, next next season will be the senior year of our uh, little, little pack or most of them. <laughs> and then they won't be teen wolves anymore. They'll be college oh. wolves. <laughs> How I don't that... know if I'm excited or <laughs> kind of terrified. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, they've done a pretty good job of dragging it out so far with, like, a couple of seasons per school year. Uh, you know, but we did get there. Like, we did get to, to junior, you know, junior year with um, all the way through, and now, now they're going to be seniors. So, yeah, off we go, you know, into the world. We're being very depressing. We're being very, like, oh, yes. God, it's all ending. It's not, I don't think it's all ending. I think we're okay. But, yeah, it's just uh, big things are ahead, I suppose. I guess we should get into the actual finale um, and, and recapping that and, and hearing about, you know, our thoughts on, yeah, what happened for the end of season four in Smoke and Mirrors. So, I mean, did you want to go ahead with the quotes first as usual, Karen? Yeah, sure. And I feel the need to warn people that I'm kind of deliriously tired at this mm. point because I was up until like 2 a.m. I couldn't sleep. Yeah. I watched the Encore episode of Teen Wolf at midnight, which was, I mean, it probably wasn't that smart, but I don't care. <laughs> I did worry a bit about that because I asked if we could record at this time, which is very late night at me, but sort of morning for Karen, like getting up time in the morning. I just sort of just, morning. Just, it's 8 a.m. <laughs> well, it's not like 6 a.m. It's like I get up before 8 a.m. every day anyway. So, you know, record. I, I'm not – recording at 8 a.m. for me isn't that difficult. Uh, Karen is a little bit more resentful of the morning. Um, <laughs> but that's fine. But, yeah, I just uh, – we're recording at this time, so neither of us had to skip work this week, basically, um, <laughs> because that does sometimes happen. Uh, good thing it's a bit flexible. Um, but yeah, she's she's a little bit tired from being getting up, and 
And, you know, she was messaging me on Viber, and I'm like, isn't it, like, one in the morning? Um, and she was, I was like, are you going to be okay to record at eight? And she's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, wait, isn't it, like, one in the morning now? And she's like, yeah, I'm watching the episode again. And I was like, okay, all right, <laughs> I'd be dead at one o'clock in the morning, but oh well. Um, yeah, well, that's when I peak, so that's uh, why mornings are so hard. <laughs> yeah, like, but do, anyway. you, do you peak in, like, a you could go out partying or, like, driving around for ice cream or something, or do you peak in a, like, I'm trapped in a web of internet and I will never stop looking at the internet <laughs> kind of way? Both. <laughs> I want to go partying with you and get ice cream at one in the morning. When are we going to do I, that? Um, When I come to Australia. Oh, God. It's nothing to do with one in the morning in Australia, Karen. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yes, I just want to warn people that this episode will probably either be a disaster or hilariously funny. I think so. it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. I'm okay. feeling good about it. <laughs> Glad you are. All right. So my quote comes from Leah, and it's when she says, Scott says we don't kill people. And I I just, I really love Malia. It's so funny because at the end of season three, we're like, yeah, we don't trust her. And I don't know what they're going to do with her character. And she's probably evil because she's Peter's daughter. And she turned out brilliant. I love her. I love every scene she's in. And I love how she's sort of, I mean, she's very attached to Styles, obviously. But she's also very attached to Scott. And she really trusts Scott to lead her and I think that's huge for somebody like Malia who had been on her own for so long yeah I'm quite excited about Malia as well um I think that like there's quite a few unanswered questions with her like um you know if she still has that aim to you know turn back to a coyote like where she originally came to Scott or you know anything like that if she's she seems quite happy being a human not wanting to run off into the woods or anything like that but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of season three, the the kind of press and the and and stuff surrounding her, the the stuff, the way that people were talking about her, uh, was really, you know, it did make her sound like she was gonna be kind of sneaky and you know, manipulative and bad motives and stuff like that. Like it's something about the way they talked about her and the press gave that impression, but that hasn't really turned out to be what's happened with her at all. So, yeah, I didn't expect to like her that much. I expected her to be kind of shady. Uh, but I'm quite pleased with the way that they've ended up taking it, you know, given her relationship with Peter and, and everything like that. I mean, is she she's one of the people, I guess she's a, um, I mean, she's in the opening credits now, so she's a, you know, does she count as a full a full regular for season four? I, I yeah, I would assume so. And then I guess she'll stay that for, for season five as well? Yeah. Cool. Well, that should be fun. I mean, people seem to, to really like her and, and the writers, you know, seem to really like her. And, and, and you know, she's very, you know, very funny and, and also, you know, got some good plots. We didn't really ever, you know, just getting into it quickly. I'm not sure that we ever really got the answer about, her killing Kate Argent or anything like that, like it, what that wasn't really addressed, and you know, given that they're both still around, you know, I, I'm not sure where that all progressed to, but uh, you know, it seems like you know her mystery is going to be tied into next season. It's Braden's mystery, and it's her mystery, and all of these people have got this mystery of the the Desert Wolf. So, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, my quote was actually. <laughs> 
an exchange between uh, Styles and Derek, which, you know, have, have been few and far between this season, I guess. And, I mean, you know, people listening to this show know that I'm not, you know, I'm not a hardcore Derek shipper or anything like that. Um, you know, we don't object to people at R, you know, and I definitely, I guess, have, you know, enjoyed that pairing just because a lot of, you know, people write some very good quality, you know, fan fiction for that pairing. But, you know, their interactions on screen have, have been pretty limited lately, but they did spend, you know, a large car journey riding to Mexico this week, which is fun. And, you know, something I really like about this show, I mean, you know, this relationship, but the show in general, it always, you know, gives you a good impression of what these people's relationships are off screen, even when you don't constantly see them interact. Like you, it doesn't seem like, you know, the conversations that they have on screen are the only conversations they ever have, if you know what I mean. Like you can tell how a relationship has grown uh, you know, even when you're not necessarily looking at it. And, um, you know, the scene between, uh, you know, Styles and Derek in the back of the, the police transport, you know, looking after Liam, uh, I think really, they were really, you know, really, really comfortable and funny together. But basically when Liam was freaking out, uh, you know, transforming and Derek was trying to, you know, help him meditate or whatever, Styles yells, I don't think Alpha, Beta, Omega is resonating with him. And Derek said, well, do you know any other mantras? And it was just, it was ridiculous, heightened, slightly slapsticky comedy in the middle of, you know, stress. And I just found it, you know, objectively delightful and funny. But also I really enjoyed kind of seeing, you know, how that relationship has sort of continued, even if it hasn't been a focus on screen. You can kind of tell what they're like with each other and, I think that's a really good example. I, I, I still really enjoy it. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, Steric aside, like it was such a, a relief, I guess, to finally see these two together on screen because like you said, all season they haven't really had a lot of interactions and I feel like, you know, they should because they're all part of the same group. And to have them finally working together, you can see how well they work together. I mean, not only the characters, but the actors as well. I mean, they have great chemistry just as sort of buddies and, and kind of like bantering and stuff like that. And they always have. But even aside from that, I love that, you know, in season one, uh, Styles was always like, yeah, Derek's the bad guy, and, you know, it's probably Derek, he's probably killing all these people, and blah, blah, and he never trusted him, and finally now in season four, they're side by side, they're working together, and that scene where um, Styles keeps looking back at Derek, and Derek's like, go, just save Scott, like... Mm. You know, both of them have just grown so much since season one. And I think in those, you know, no dialogue at all. Just them looking at each other just says so much about the characters. Yeah, yeah it really does. I mean, that scene where he looks back kind of when Derek is like, you know, dying on the ground or whatever, you know, I'm like, oh, that, you know, that lit a few fires, I'm sure. But like, I think what it is, is, you know, I think what it is that, you know, people find, you know, frustrating and delightful and stuff like that about a ship like this or just two characters like this is that you have, it's always like really frustrating or really like, ah, oh, can you just, you know, you know, you want to see them together, you know, in whatever way um, is when it's two people 
I think what it narrows down to, I mean, you know, people will probably argue or, you know, say it's more complex than that. But when it's two people who are on the same side, they're both in the same team, but they are kind of bickering or don't get along or, you know, you know, that they kind of clash even though they're on the same side. People who are on the same side yet clash and then eventually figure out how to work together and appreciate each other. That's like a surefire hit for like really good chemistry and, and, and like a relationship or friendship that's going to be interesting to people. And I really like that. And I think I just like, you know, to put my finger on it, I I really think that that scene in the van, you, you know, we, we know that they are, you know, both, you know, kind of equals and worthy of, you know, you know, you know, they both respect each other and all of that kind of thing. But they literally, I don't know if it's just because Derek was like more chill and, human and you know they were both on the same playing field but that was really the first time that I kind of looked at them as equals if you know what I mean like that they really just seemed like it didn't even seem like they would you know not that age is like you know age on Teen Wolf is whatever but like that they seem like two people really on the same level you know working obviously on the same thing and they've worked on the same thing many times but it was like it always was like, you know, annoying kid with kind of older grumpy dude who's like, oh, this kid can't help me kind of thing. And we know that that isn't necessarily how Derek has thought through season, you know, 3B and, and stuff like that, but we just haven't seen it. Dunno, something about the way that they were kind of approaching that situation in the the van, like it showed them as equals next to each other, which I kind of really liked as well. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that that shall be I guess our steric chat for the for the uh, rest <laughs> of the episode. I mean there's lots to lots to get through, but yeah, those yeah, there were some cool cool moments with that relationship. So yeah, don't worry, steric people. We have not forgotten about you. Sometimes people think I think that we um are like you know, steric causes a lot of drama, which we understand, but you know, it doesn't really stop the the on-screen stuff from being pretty cool. And, yeah, it was nice to see them still throw that in. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's jump into the discussion uh, because there was a lot of really awesome things that happened in this episode. The first of which we kind of get a little bit more of a backstory on Kate. She said she was drawn to the temple, the name of which means smoke and mirrors. So that kind of explains the title of the episode. And she said that the berserkers helped her to survive and she realized that she could control and create them. And, I mean, later we learn that Peter was the one who helped her come to that conclusion. But my question here is, she was controlling the Berserkers before she actually, like, sat down and talked with Peter and started working with him, right? Or were they, or is the implication here that they had been working long before that? I... I don't know, honestly. That I was—I guess I should sort of say right off the bat, like I like the result of this episode, but the execution of it had a few too many unanswered questions for me, or things that were just like, "Oh yeah, we've got a solution, but we haven't explained how we got here." If you know what I mean, and I don't know if that's like mysteries yet to come, or if it was just like they didn't have time to fit it in, and it was like you know you just had to accept it. Uh, but there were quite a few things that I'm, I'm not really sure about in this episode. So um, just this is one of them, I suppose. 
I don't know, you know, how long she's been doing that. So, you know, we're presuming, you know, she had the Berserkers in 401, you know, when she had Derek come to her, or, you know, when she took Derek and, you know, put him in the, um, you know, coffin to make him a baby or whatever it was that happened. Uh, but, you know, when she kidnapped him, you know, was Peter with him at that time? Where was Peter? Are we meant to think that Peter orchestrated that? Like, you know, I don't really understand what happened there at all, honestly. So I don't know when Peter came into the picture in terms of the Berserkers. Maybe she had the control and then when she met him, she'd learned she could create them. Like maybe it was like a, a, a two-way, you know, a two-step process or something, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, I was under the assumption that Peter kind of came in later, and even if she didn't know how to create them until she talked with him, she did know that she can control them, obviously, because she said when she showed up to the temple, they were there to sort of, like, help her and everything, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe... I, I do want to go back and, like, rewatch the season kind of as a whole and see where that fits in. But I'm pretty sure Peter didn't show up until – it for her, didn't show up to, like, help her until much later. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And, I mean, we don't really have an answer as to why she could control the Berserkers. Yeah, that was another sort of thing with this because she said she was drawn to the temple. And I think that's really interesting given, I mean, given what she ended up turning into, I think that makes sense. But there's there's a whole lot more mythology here that I would love to see them explore. I don't know if they're going to have time to do it in season five, if they plan on having Kate's story extend into that with the fact that Chris is going after her, like if we'll still mm. see snippets of them. But I really still want to learn more about the mythology of like the were jaguars and these temples and what she can do, because so far the things that she can do are really different from the things that werewolves can do. Yeah. I mean, when was the first time that we heard her called La Loba? Like, is that what they were calling her way back when the Calaveras or, you know, whoever it was had Derek and Peter strapped to the wall? They were yeah. being like, where is La Loba? So that would be you know, an implication that she's been playing with those bone people for quite a while. Um, right. I don't, if they were, if they were already calling her that, I don't know why they didn't like fill in everyone. Like why the Calaveras weren't like, yeah, we call her that because she has these giant bone men that she controls and that follow her around like heads up, if you know what I mean. But well, <laughs> the Calaveras aren't really that helpful. No. are they? <laughs> no, I suppose not. But I don't know, you know, I don't know how Peter is meant to, you know, how long that's meant to be going. Maybe they, like, texted or something, I don't know, like, it's like, <laughs> it, it does seem a bit, you know, odd in terms of Peter being the one to teach her about berserkers, um, or something like that, because, yeah, I don't know about the timing, but, oh well. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we'll see more of her in season five, but... Regardless of that, you know, she can control the Berserkers. She, at the end of the last episode, she turned Scott into a Berserker and she was controlling him and gets him to stab Kira, which I was really surprised by this scene because it was pretty gruesome and kind of traumatic. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, Kira, like, it, it, the episode, like, was very, like, physically, like, dark, and, it, like, yeah, pretty, pretty rough. It was all a bit gory, and, and everyone looked kind of, you know, nasty, and, like, I, like, they usually make people look, you know, pretty nice and attractive, even when they're, like, you know, dying and bleeding all over the place, but Kira really <laughs> looked like she'd been totally, totally trashed, and then, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that Scott did this episode that was... Obvi- you know, obviously forgivable, but you know it's gonna be you know a bit a bit rough for people. You know, like especially I think Kira and Liam kind of um, about got you know or the berserker Scott stabbing and hurting and all of that nonsense. I I kind of liked the scene in terms of you know Kate being like, oh, we have to test his loyalty and stuff like that. It was kind of kind of freaky, and I kept expecting at any second for him to be like turn around and be like. Haha, I was just going along with it and now I take you down. But no, it was really, you know, really affected. And again, we don't really know the, you know, the magic process that makes it not just, you know, a bone helmet and it actually, you know, infects (laughs) you. So, yeah, but it definitely happened. Yeah, and I'm glad they decided to go with... I mean, we'll talk about it later, but the whole route with how he ends up breaking out of it and everything, it was perfect. And I'm glad it wasn't just, I can't stab Kira, I'm going to break free of this, you know, bone helmet now. And Mm -hmm. yeah, just the way they ended up doing it was really good. But aside from that, we jump back to Beacon Hills and Sheriff Stalinski doesn't want Styles to go to Mexico, which is totally understandable. <laughs> he wants to go, like, the lawful route, get everybody involved. But my question is, would that really work? I mean, they're fighting a were-jaguar and a bunch of berserkers. Does he really think going to the police and dragging them to Mexico and fighting these things is a good idea? No. Honestly, I don't think that he thinks that, you know, he's going to be that much more effective. Though... You know, he he may really just believe in, you know, his job and believe in, in, in the real process. But I think it's more just that he's like, yeah, don't care how screwed up the world is. Don't want my kid doing this. And if I can control that, I will. But, I mean, it was, it was a really, yeah, really great scene in terms of the sheriff and, and Stiles. Um, and, and, you know, the, their kind of idea of compromise, basically. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, didn't work out. <laughs> Thanks, no, Styles. And, and, like he's still like to this day. Like Styles is he's a you know he's a manipulator and a liar. Like you know no matter it's not just like you know he he was just like okay dad that's fine that's a, right I'll go along with that and as soon as he walks out of there it's like nope. Um and I mean I get it and I don't think Styles is a bad person but you know if he wasn't on the side of good you know he, his morals are not. You know, his morals are not the strongest and his, you know, you can't really take him at his words. So, like, you know, it's kind of lucky he's on our side, I guess. Exactly. That's that's how I think about him, too, because, yeah, if he if he was on the flip side, he would make a really, I think, tricky enemy to kind of defeat. But because he is good, um, you know, he might walk that line sometimes, but I think his. His loyalty above anything else is always going to be there. And that's why I really loved the scene, despite the fact that he did sort of, 
you know, turn on his dad and go to Mexico anyway. But he is willing to do anything to save Scott. And I think Kira, too. I, you know, Kira's a good friend to him. But Scott is obviously the primary objective. And he he basically told his dad, yeah, I will find a way to get down there. And his dad's like, I'll lock you up. He's like, I'll still find a way. And you know he will. Nothing yeah. would stop Styles. Oh, it must be so frustrating to parent him or to attempt to parent him, if you know what I mean. Like <laughs> Attempt to parent like, him. Like, it's just, oh, you know, oh, it's awful. And I don't know. It's I mean, I understand, like, the stakes, you know, and obviously, you know, the sheriff does at the end of the day kind of understand the stakes as well. But it's still, you know, and you still kind of want to be like, no, I have to... Um, you know, protect him in whatever way I can, but God, it's, yeah, he's a, he's awful sometimes, Styles. Like, you know, it's for the greater good, but he's freaking terrible. So, yeah, it must be, I do feel for the sheriff, you know, quite oh, often. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine, this is his only child, he's lost his wife, and Styles is basically uncontrollable. I mean, not in a bad way, but Styles is definitely going to do what he feels he needs to do and that must just I mean give the sheriff panic attacks sometimes but I think you know at the end of the day they really do have an amazing relationship yeah no definitely but yeah there is still an element of kind of the parent-child control that is being uh ignored by one side and and I don't know I don't know whether it's that Styles needs to dial it back a bit I mean he is sort of too involved to dial it back and I mean he did try to say to him he was like yeah dad like you can't stop me um it just sucks a bit that he kind of agreed to the only thing I have a kind of intrinsic problem with in terms of you know you know lying and stuff like that is that he kind of agreed to the negotiation and then still went anyway as opposed to just as opposed to being straight up like dad I'm not going to do what you're saying. I'm going to go, if you know what I mean, as opposed to, like, easing the way by lying. But, you know, it's – I yeah. get it, but it's, you know, it's always going to be like that. And even though Sheriff is in the know, it's still always going to be like that, it seems. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, jumping over to Derek, I don't want to talk about him too much because I have a lot to say about him later on. But Derek doesn't think he's going to come back from this mission, and he's okay with that. And that was kind of a really sad scene to see, but the highlight here for me was Brayden, because Brayden was not okay with that. And, you know, obviously we talked to Megan Tandy at the beginning of the season, and she was like, yeah, you might see her change, and we didn't really know what extent to what extent that would be. And she changed a lot from the premiere episode of season four. And she is really on board with Derek and the rest of the pack. She was willing to risk her life to go save Scott and Kira, not just to like track down Kate, because I don't think at this point she really cared about Kate all that no, much. I don't, was, I don't think they're still paying her or anything. Yeah. I mean, it was to go help Scott and Kira and it was just like, ugh. I really love how much she's transformed since the the first episode of the season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, unearthed some feelings there. And we haven't seen a great deal of, like, the whys of her and Derek's relationship, if you know what I mean. It just sort of seems to have come from chemistry and, like, living in close quarters. But they did get close, uh, you know, fairly quickly and, yeah, I mean, I really like, you know, I, I love the whole Derek learning from her and, and what he's 
you know, how he hasn't fought back against sort of being a human. I mean, he's, you know, probably annoyed as hell by it. Um, you know, we say, he, you know, see here that he's frustrated, but he's never like, oh, you puny humans. Like, oh, I'm so much better than you. I'll be so much better than you again when I get my powers back, if you know what I mean. There's none of that kind of attitude, which, you know, a couple of seasons ago, you might have sort of expected from, from Derek. So yeah. I really like their dynamic. Like, and, you know, he's so willing to kind of, you know, let her lead and, and teach him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems one of those cases, like, you know, forced, you know, close proximity, high-stakes circumstance, you know, feelings happen. And, and it's nice and it's relatively healthy, like, you know, for him, which is good. Yeah. I mean, way – definitely a step up from yeah. the last – girlfriend so yeah I'm okay with it <laughs> and I feel like you know they're, they're pretty they're pretty on a level with each other in terms of you know much like what I was saying about Scott and Kira uh, the other week you know they they fight together they you know they can talk business um it's not like you know she's not like a you know a damsel like Jennifer or like a kind of you know seductress like Kate I guess uh she's just practical and you know upfront. And it seems to work really well for Derek. I think Derek, you know, doesn't particularly want to be the big strong man in control like, you know, he was with, you know, Jennifer, well, at least in her identity of of being Jennifer uh, before she was revealed as the Dirac. And I think that he kind of likes, you know, not... I guess not having to be that or just, just being a bit more practical and, you know, things. Their relationship seems to lack drama in a good way, I guess. Yeah, I think part of that is just because Brayden is so upfront and honest and she's mm. not afraid to tell you exactly what she's thinking and she's like, you know, in the... Where other people would be like, yeah, I'm doing this, you know, because... I, I need the money and I need a future. And she's just like, no, I got to eat. I'll do anything. And I think that kind of honesty for Derek is something that he hasn't had. And yeah. it's like, oh, she's really... probably not lying to me. Yeah. Probably not exactly. hiding a secret evil identity. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, he just, he really needs that. And I think they work really well together. Yeah. And she didn't die. And he didn't die. And no one died. Woo! I was slightly worried that they would, like, uh, you know, kill her to, you know, further his drama, if you know what I mean. Like, that, you know, we'd think, oh, Derek's going to die, and then it was actually, oh, Brayden's going to die, you know, in terms of the Lydia scream thing. But So yeah. I'm glad that that did not happen. For the record, we were texting last night, and Natalie was like, were there any major deaths? And I was like, that's a really good question. And then she called me a terrible friend, and I said, no, I'm a good friend, and you're going to thank me later. So Why would I, I thank you? I still don't understand what I meant to thank you for. Because I didn't ruin anything, and you, you saw the episode without any taint. I did see it without any spoilers, um, but um, that doesn't mean I didn't want to know if there were any major deaths, Karen. <laughs> anyway... Moving on, no major deaths, just lots of red shirt calaveras. That's nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, Liam, this episode, 
mm. was kind of amazing. And we'll get into like his big scene later. But in the beginning here, he wants to go help save Scott, even though he's terrified, even though he wasn't sure just an episode or two ago that he really wanted to get wrapped up in all of this. And he did. He went after his alpha. And that was just a really awesome moment to see, I think. I really like the bit where, like, Peter was talking to Derek about, like, how, you know, they were going to need stuff. And he, he was like, he's like, we're going to need more people. We're going to need Malia. Maybe Liam. Definitely me. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just loved Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. You yeah, let's talk about but... Peter for a minute because... What, right now? All, okay. Well, I mean, it goes hand in hand because that scene kind of confused me. I'm like, all right, I understand why he would want Malia. And I'm like, but he wants Liam? That's kind of weird. He didn't mention Lydia. I realize that she can't fight, but she's got this power that is very, very useful. And I just, I don't know, like where he was coming from with that but on the flip side why i mean he sort of helps gather everyone to save scott why do you think the others think that peter wants to help i don't know see i I was watching this um with someone else and they were like well they still think he's good right and i was like well has anyone ever really like really thought that like they really don't like him but i guess like maybe they think he still wants like I guess they they sort of know about the benefactor situation, which I guess is, like, completely, like, not even an issue anymore. Um, But I guess they believed that it was, like, you know, that Meredith was acting off, like, the rantings and ravings of a crazy person as opposed to... See, as I'm seeing it now, now that we've sort of seen what Peter wanted in terms of killing Scott in order to take back, like, the Hale Alpha line, which Scott didn't even get from him, so it's, like, crazy. Anyway, um, so he wanted to kill Scott. So that kind of does make me think that the benefactor thing, that he, he was being genuine about the benefactor thing. That, yes, it did come from his mind, but it was his crazy person mind and he wasn't actually still trying to do it, if you know what I mean, that he was like, oh, this is happening. Oh, well, if you know what I mean. But he didn't want Scott dead because his his plan was to kill Scott himself to become the alpha again. Um, So I'm assuming at this point that, yeah, Benefactor plan was genuinely not actively, you know, Peter's choice. It was the rantings of an insane person interpreted by someone else with a very loose grip on reality. And so it was all actually just a big mess, not anyone's actual plan, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean. That's what I'm getting at the moment. I mean, it might be totally wrong, but that's kind of what I'm getting at the moment. Um, And that Peter was sort of apparently aware that this was happening, but, you know, just willing to to let it go, except for Scott, um, you know, not wanting Scott to get killed so he could do the the Scott killing himself. I don't know, man. Um, But I don't know. Do they just think that he's, like, kind of still just, you know, basically, you know, well, he's not on anyone else's team, so I guess he's on our team kind of thing. He's just, you know, like, (laughs) or because Derek still lets him hang around. I don't know. I think maybe... The thing that makes the most sense now that you say that is that, you know, he's not on anybody else's team, so he must be on our team. 
because I, I don't know. I mean, if that was Malia that had gotten captured or Derek, I can understand why he would have been so frantic about wanting to go save him. And of course, we know why he's so frantic about wanting to get to Scott because he wants to be the one to kill him. But what what is the point? Like, what do they think he wants Maybe it has to do with Kate more than Scott and Kira. Maybe he just, you know, they think he just wants to defeat Kate and the Berserkers and get her, like, out of the picture. I think that probably would make the most sense. But you can see throughout this scene, Styles keeps looking at him like, what are you up to? Why are you taking charge here? What the hell? Like, yeah. Exactly. Um, I can we just throw back to Liam for a second um, mm-hmm. in terms of this gathering and you know because the whole Liam issue is that they need to journey down to Mexico on a full moon and Liam is really bad at his uh, you know transformation and control um, and you know they're like oh can we like you know um, chain me to the back seat or something <laughs> and he's like Styles is like you broke the last set of chains and we'd have to freeze you in carbonite. And he's like, okay, where do we get some carbonite? Yes. Face is just like, are you serious? There was this really long pause. Like, I mean, in, in a show like this, especially a finale, you need every single second to sort of keep the story moving. But there was a long pause with styles. is just like, Hmm. No. Are you serious? You haven't seen Star Wars either. And it was, oh, so good. I it love that so constant throwback. Yeah, um, he's so, Dylan is so good at that with his face. He's the best person in the world of giving this look of, like, just this look of just incredulousness. Like, just, I've seen a post on Tumblr, like, a million times, basically, being, you know, someone's text post just saying, I wish there was a word for being able to express uh, and you know like a key smash like many question marks exclamation mark exclamation mark key smash and someone just underneath posts a gif of styles doing his like what like eyes like his thing with the eyes like no one does that kind of withering <laughs> like are you serious is this real look that he does no one can do it like him i've i've never seen anything like it and it's it's incredible like he, it's so funny but yeah, I loved that. Yeah, just for any, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any, any listeners out there that wouldn't have got the, the carbonite joke. I hope, even though I hate Star Wars. Um, but if you have not seen Star Wars, like Scott and Liam, yeah, that's the thing. One of the people gets frozen in a fake substance called carbonite. The end. Um, <laughs> but I loved that. It was, it was so good. Yeah, it was. Next up, we have. Kira, who is trying to heal herself, and she sees her mother. Her mother sort of appears to her. She's not really there, and she kind of walks Kira through healing herself. And this, to me, and I think this was very deliberate. I don't think I'm just yeah. you know, making random connections. Very much mirrored the scene with Victoria and Allison, and I love that they did this. It worked so well. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down in my notes, why do Scott's girlfriends keep hallucinating their mums? Um, but <laughs> At least Kira's mom wasn't dead. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm like, what is going on there? Like, how do you explain these hallucinations? Like, we've talked, you know, last week even about Liam seeing his berserker and how re- – on the foot, you know, the football field, sorry, the lacrosse field – and how real it seemed – 
I mean, how, what are we meant to believe about hallucinations in the land of Teen Wolf, if you know what I mean? Like, is is there any reality to them? Like, did Alison really see Victoria? Like, was it just a conversation inside her head? You know, is it her own thoughts? You know, is there any kind of, you know, supernatural element to that? And in this circumstance, like with Nashiko, who is very much alive, you know, is this just their way of showing what Kira, you know, would imagine, like sort of, you know, pr- you know, being practical and kind of imagining a conversation? Or is Nashiko not really there in person, but like really there in the spirit? Is that a Kitsune thing? Like, was that conversation real? You know, given that she's not like dead and a ghost or anything or mm-hmm. so, I don't know. What do you think about these hallucinations so far? I always assumed that they were real, that, like, Allison really did see her mother. I mean, in that one scene, her mother was sort of behind her. But I think, like, if she had turned around, like, she would have seen her. I I don't think that it was her ghost or anything. But I think, you know, Allison was in such a high-stress situation that she was sort of hallucinating her mother. And it was her mind's way of helping her get through that situation which is exactly what happened with Kira as well and I think the fact that Kira was also in a high stress situation and that she was dying you know her hallucination to me makes a little bit more sense because she was sort of on the edge there and of course she would you know hallucinate her mom who I think she really looks up to in terms of trying to learn to be a kitsune uh even though we haven't seen like you know, her practicing or her mother actually sitting her down and explaining these things to her. But um, she is sort of, in a way, I guess, Kira's spirit guide because she is much older and wiser and she knows how to be a kitsune. So it makes sense that she would hallucinate her. But um, I don't think it was like her mom was really there in spirit. I think it was just a hallucination. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was a little bit unsure, but, you know... Um, I was a bit confused in the opening credits when I saw, um, you know, Tamalyn Tomita's name there. I was like, okay, how's this going to work? And then <laughs> there we go, basically. Yeah. Uh, back in the van, Liam starts to transform. Derek <laughs> hands him this ancient talisman, which we oh know is my fake. God. Can I just say I so love good. that? Like I thought that the, I thought we were gonna throw back to that talisman, and like we'll find out, you know, it was super important way because you know. Kate was interested in it and all of that, like, nonsense, and you know, and I was like, oh, you know, we're going to find out that it is actually a real big deal, and, you know, the saying it was a fake was a bluff. I love that they saying it was a fake thing was true. Like, unless we find out heaps further down the line that it is actually super magical, but I love that, I love that they're, like, rolling with it, and that, that little, like, look that, you know, Derek gives to Styles being like, come on, come on, contribute here. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, it was just so good. It was. It was really good. But the talisman doesn't work on Leon. The mantra doesn't work. But Satomi's does. Why do you think Satomi's does? I don't know. I can't really answer that question. Obviously, I can't really answer any of these questions. But I don't know. Um, I I mean, we've talked before about whether, you know, you know, Satomi's pack, the people that are not necessarily the kind of actively fighting the the good fight, you know, the people that are just sort of trying to chill and live their lives, if that's what Liam would end up wanting. And I don't know if that's a sign of that. I don't know if it's just like a, you know, Hale family thing with the Alpha, Beta, Omega thing. Um, If maybe Born, it's not, maybe it's not strong enough. Maybe, you know, Born werewolves have intrinsically more control or something like that. 
and um, you know, maybe. But I mean, the Alpha Beta Omega thing didn't really seem to work for Derek once his mother had died. So maybe it was just more Talia's presence, uh, you know, that actually helped. But I don't know. I I don't know what the big deal is. You know, the the sun, the moon, the truth situation. I feel like it might return in some way, especially if we're going to see people like Brett again or if Satomi comes back. But, yeah, I don't know. It seems to be a bit more than is letting on, potentially. Yeah, I agree. I'd really like to see it return. I mean, not just because I love Satomi, but I feel like this mantra... I think part of it is that Liam had to actually think of the answer. It wasn't just three words that don't really mean a whole lot to him right now. It was more like he had to answer this riddle that Styles sort of presented to him. Had I mean, he, he heard that before? Did I he think know so. that from Brett or whatever? Like, I think it, even if we didn't see it happen on screen, because I don't remember if that was the case, I'm pretty sure – he knew it, you know, they had probably talked about it off screen or something like that because yeah, he definitely yeah. knew the answer to it. And I don't think that's something that you could just like come up with on your own. So yeah. he, he definitely like he had to answer this riddle, which he already knew the answer to, but he did that and he had to really focus on it. And I think the difference here is like Alpha Beta Omega obviously means a lot to Derek and to his family, but not necessarily to Liam, whereas I think the sun, the moon, the truth is something that you really have to think about, and you have to think, okay, these things can't be hidden, what does that actually mean, you know, especially the truth part of it, and I think it allowed him to sort of step back for a second and use his mind to kind of just think this through, and that helped him control it, so... I don't know. Because it was more complex, I think, than Alpha, Beta, Omega, I think maybe that's why it calmed him down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because once we got the explanation of the Alpha, Beta, Omega, I thought that one was perfectly nice and actually a bit more, like, you know, widespread, like, general, you know, seemed more widespread for general usage than the Sun, the Moon, the Truth. So I don't know. Uh, you know, different people are different, I suppose. But I actually thought that Derek's one was actually more of a, a good general one than the other one. Yeah, hopefully it'll come back and maybe we'll get more of an answer to that. Mm. Speaking of Derek, he gets injured by the Berserker, which was really sad. <laughs> and uh, he tells the others to go save Scott. And we, you know, we already talked about this a little bit, but I really loved how Brayden was so concerned about him. I love how Styles was so concerned about him. He really didn't want to leave Derek. And I think that, you know, is a testament to how much Derek has been integrated into this pack. I mean, he's definitely a member of the group and Styles doesn't want to leave anyone behind. Yeah, there was a lot of feelings all around as well, because even when they go in, Derek kind of had that miserable little pipe up, and he was like, save him. Um, Like, he really, like, Derek is so obsessed with Scott. Um, And (laughs) the very end of the episode as well, like, that look between Scott and Derek at the very end was, like, really intense, like, uh, which we'll, we'll get to, but, like, it was really intense, and yeah, Derek has definitely has a thing for Scott, um, you know, not in the way that Courtney says. 
but um in general he really has you know something something going on you know very very deep respect or hope or something like that like something about scott really brings him some sort of you know happiness and security and balance or something so yeah just the way that he sort of piped up and he was like make sure you save him or you know just save him whatever he said like um you know his dying wish and like even what he you know said earlier to Braden where he didn't think he was going to come back but it was okay if they were saving Scott like yeah he I feel like he's more hung up on Scott than than, than they've ever really explained like yes that you know we've had scenes where he's like you know I, I figured out that you know I, I need to help protect this town and you know you're a better alpha and stuff like that but like I don't know I want to know the you know hidden inner depths and like you know, emotional range of Derek Hale and what his, like, private feelings for Scott really are, basically. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> yes. Yes. Styles though, gets a call from his dad, who is first <laughs> furious, but then really understanding. And I loved the scene because so many times the parents are made into bad guys or they're made out to be really stupid and they don't understand what's going on. And Teen Wolf has never done that. And I mean, Jeff has said in the past that that's very purposeful, but I think that this is a really realistic reaction to Styles going down to Mexico because, of course, his father's going to be pissed off. But mm. also, he's like, look, his best friend is being taken by a were jaguar and her berserker minions. Like, of course, he's going to go down there and try to save him. So he's just like, look, tell me what I can do and I'll get it done. Yeah, it. you know, it's good that they're... I guess practical and stuff like that, but yes, very tense. And I loved how everyone else was kind of like, "What are you doing?" Like when he was just on the phone for like fifteen minutes or however long he was on the phone. Like I love how the camera kept panning back to Peter, like being like, "What are you doing?" Two Shut or up. three times, yeah. yeah. And like seriously, you're taking a phone call right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also liked Sheriff being like, "Tell me you're safe," and Styles was like, "Do you want me to lie?" Which was nice i think like really really kind of you know pretty pretty hard hitting but but nice it was nice that he didn't lie automatically that yeah he knew, yeah sure sure we're fine we're fine you know yeah like, i mean yeah. and that's something like styles would do or like at least he'd play it off with humor but the situation is so intense and so dire that he was like looked at i'm not gonna lie to you Things are not good, but this is what I have to do. And that's when the sheriff is like, fine, you know, tell me what I have to do. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess it's about now that we kind of um, figure out that Lydia is purposefully not there. Like, that there is, you know, um, some sort of a diversion, you know, that she is definitely being trapped away from the group because of what she could do if she was there basically yeah uh but before we get into that because i actually really love that scene it was it was pretty awesome but parish chris and the calaveras show up to fight kate which i think is a funny little amalgamation of you know the outsiders so far of mm-hmm. the group and i love that they just all showed up especially i mean obviously it makes sense that parish is there because he was with chris but mm-hmm. i love that parish was there 
getting ready to jump into the fight, which he really doesn't know a whole lot about, but he's, he's already feeling pretty loyal to this group of kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he even had any lines in this episode, did he? Like not even any dialogue, but uh, not till the end. I don't think. Oh, or not with Lydia. Had, yeah. Yeah. Had a couple during the fight, like I'm almost out of ammo, but like, Oh yeah. He's very, yeah. He didn't have a whole lot. Yeah, but, like, I was kind of – because when I saw him show up, I'm like, oh, did the sheriff send down some, you know, reinforcements? But then, like, he's just been with Chris the whole time, like, doing their, like, odd couple gun-toting thing or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, um, and we find out that, obviously, Chris had this deal with the Calaveras that we never saw her, so that's fine. That's good. But um, still no real explanation about who Araya, you know – might be but yeah poor parish being like oh this is where we're going oh this is who we're pointing guns at okay i guess i can do this kind of thing like um but yeah i mean obviously it's set up for him to have a lot more next season as well yeah i am really curious about um araya still because i I want to know what her connection is. I don't, at this point, I'm not entirely sure she has a connection like we thought she did. Um, mm-hmm. Because we were thinking, you know, is she Chris's mother? Is she connected somehow to the Argents more than just being another Hunter family? Uh, is she Victoria's mother? I mean, we had been throwing around a lot of different theories and we didn't really get an answer to any of them so i really hope they show up again in season five because i want to learn more about the hunters other than the argents yeah i think that i think that we will or possibly will but yeah again yeah i always said possibly imagined more of a connection than there was um did araya end up surviving yes yeah, I mean, they kind of, you know, as, as we said, a lot of Calaveras kind of just got, you know, cannon fodder in that fight because some people had to <laughs> die. Uh, but, yeah, um, definitely a pretty strong presence, so there's room for her, I'm sure. Though, given that we didn't lose any lead cast members or any real cast members at all, um, which is, you know, God praise the, you know... Praise the Lord, I suppose. Finale, where it was just like, you know, oh, happy ending. Or not that happy, but like no one actually died or like left for good or anything. You know, we're going to have a lot of cast members to be playing with next season. I mean, you know, obviously we had a lot this season as well. But, um, yeah, we'll be managing quite a large group now if we're giving them all a story, if we're giving Parrish more of a story and Brayden more of a story as well. Um, so are you looking forward to that, like to the extended group being so much bigger? Oh yeah, definitely. Although it makes me a little nervous about Chris and Kate and I guess the Calaveras since they're sort of, you know, on the same mission, but you know, are we really going to see them? Like, are they going to get their own kind of B plot off to the side? Will Chris be coming back? You know, having just been like, oh, yeah, I found Kate. She's dead now. You know, story over. (laughs) I I hope they don't do that because I think she really needs a conclusive finish to her story. But um, I other other than being worried that maybe Chris isn't going to be a huge part of season five. uh, I am super excited that everyone did survive. I mean, that obviously doesn't always happen on Teen Wolf, but I've really come to love Brayden a lot. I mean, obviously glad Derek didn't die. And, you know, we've got Malia and Kira who are still sort of newbies. And it's just, it's nice 
that they all went through this really tough situation. And yet, because of the strength of their friendship, they came out on the other side. Yeah. I mean, this whole season, I've just been thinking about each season. Like, season one finale, obviously, Kate and Peter died. Neither of those really stuck. Uh, season two, a few people died throughout the season, like um, uh, Victoria and, and stuff like that. And then in the end of the season, we had sort of the weird Gerard and Jackson situation. 3A, obviously, some people died, uh, you know, like, obviously, all of the Alpha Pack. Um, Jennifer, so the villains kind of died, um, as well as uh, Boyd and Erica throughout the, the course of the series. And then 3B, obviously, majorly, Allison and Aiden died, and various people throughout the, the season as well, due to the Nagitsune. Um, this season, I mean, yes, some people got decapitated and I guess we got a couple of characters that we knew a little bit who died like um Garrett but yeah no no major deaths you know for either our main villains or heroes uh yeah everyone actually fared pretty well despite the fact that there was like you know all of these assassins and all of that kind of nonsense yeah and uh you know Brooke passed on to us a an interview that Jeff just did post season four finale and he said mm. that not killing off Peter in particular but I think you know a lot of other characters was very purposeful because season three was so dark and they you know first of all love Ian Bowen and love Peter and want to keep him around but I think I think this was smart because season three was really dark and heavy and it it was great. It was a nice change from seasons one and two of Teen Wolf, which were, um, you know, kind of light and fun and cheesy. And yeah, it got a little dark here and there, but season three was obviously like pitch black. And coming into season four, we all needed a break from that because it was very emotional for a lot of different reasons. And I think the fact that they decided to keep everyone alive uh, just it was it was very smart from like a writer's standpoint and knowing your audience and knowing they they can't take too much more heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, sort of also ask the question whether there's room in this show to have plots that aren't about people getting killed, if you know what I mean. I mean, no one got killed, but, you know, the plot was definitely about people potentially getting killed. You know, uh, you know, I'm not talking about having, like, you know, mundane, like, oh, Teen Wolf does the grocery shopping, though I would probably <laughs> like that. Um, but, you know, having a plot that was like a mystery that wasn't a death kind of mystery, if you know what I mean, like that was a... Um, you know, a supernatural mystery that wasn't like, oh my god, someone's gonna die. So, yeah, or like someone's killing people. Like, you know, do you think that that's sort of a necessary part of the show, that it has to have that kind of horror and violence element? Or do you think it could have kind of mysteries that aren't death-related? That's a really good question. I think that one of the things Team Wolf has always done is sort of been a high-stakes show. I mean, they've killed off a lot of characters, some of them very minor, some of them major, obviously, some of them sort of in between, like Boyd and Erica, who were a big part of the show, but weren't necessarily, you know, the main group. And I think that 
I wouldn't necessarily want that to go away because I think that's one of the most intriguing things about Teen Wolf. But at the same time, yeah, how how much can these characters take before it becomes really unrealistic that they're sticking around to Beacon Hills? And I think um, maybe in season five, we might possibly see something different because they're obviously setting up the the fact that Brayden knows the desert wolf and that Malia's mother is the desert wolf. So possibly it'll be more of a mystery centered around that and what perishes instead of like, oh, here's a new villain who's trying to destroy the world. Let's stop him. Yeah, I'd be pretty into that, actually. Me too. But speaking of deaths, did you think Derek had really died? No, they didn't linger on it long enough. Yeah, I... Like, it wasn't, it was... But that being said, I thought it was like he was going into, like, you know, shock or something like that. You know, like, oh, he's he's pretty much passed out and lost... And he was, like, just hanging on by a thread once Scott got out of the berserker head and would give him the bite. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. There was There was a split second where I was like, wait, what if... No. I was kind of like, if that's his death scene, is really understated for, like, one of the show's, <laughs> like, top three characters. So, like, yeah, yeah I was like, yeah. if that's his legit death scene, they've really underplayed it and people are going to be mad, basically. So I didn't think it was his real death scene, though. Like, not not really. Yeah, and I was like, they can't kill off Derek. Derek's too important. So, well, then again, they did kill off Allison. But, um, yeah, I I didn't really think that Derek had died, but I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. But we will get to that later because there's lots to say about that. Uh, For now, though, I want to talk about Lydia having a baseball bat because she looked Freaking awesome. Yeah, what did she say when she pulled it out and Mason's like, really, a baseball bat? Like, she said something funny. Oh, God, I, I don't remember now. She said something about, you know, I, I assume it was a throwback to Styles always having the bat, if you know what I mean, but I, I can't remember the exact words of it. Oh, well, that was a funny joke. But uh, Lydia was really cool kind of bringing Mason into the fold. Mason was amazing. He attacked the Berserker even though he had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I love that. Like, you know, like she kind of gave that little pep talk about the baseball bat and like what she was doing and, you know, how, you know, she had to go and and do that. Like, you know, my friends, if they need me, they're not going to stop. And Mason's kind of like, she goes ahead and then Mason, like, kind of processes her little pep talk and then runs in screaming ahead of her. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. Yeah, I loved it. And uh, Sheriff Stolinski ends up saving the day with a bomb, which, Mm -hmm. okay, for one, was really amazing, and I loved it. Perfect timing, but... That was kind of dangerous. Good thing Lydia and Mason saw that it was coming and could, like, duck and hide. Yeah, and sorry to the school board for that damage caused (laughs) as well. But, like, you know, whatevs. I would say it was worth it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then the group realizes Scott's the berserker. And the only way he is saved... Not from Kira, not from Styles, which I was really expecting it to be, again, because we've seen before that they have a really strong connection. But it's when Liam says, you're not a monster, you're a werewolf like me. Perfect throwback line. I loved that it was Liam, who I think 
kind of really understood what Scott had been doing for him all along and wasn't willing to give up on him. And this finale episode was really very much focused on Scott's connection with Liam as sort of his one definite, I bit you, you turned into a werewolf and and now kind of person. Yeah. I definitely, again, like thought that this played into what we've sort of been saying all season about the intrinsic beta connection, you know, beta alpha connection that's not just, you're my best friend in the human world and, you know, we chose each other and I I can yellow crayon you out of a pool of gasoline. That's one thing. But when we're talking about the animalistic side, when we're talking about the actual, like, you know, werewolf part, I think that this is another, you know, tick in the column for the whole idea of, you know, the alpha's, Alpha and Beta having a very, uh, a connection that is, you know, for both parties, not just, you know, an emotional response that they've had naturally, that it's something, I don't like to say forced, but that it's, it's something, you know, beyond their control, you know, a supernatural connection, a, you know, a mental connection, an emotional connection that's more than just you know, two people developing, you know, whatever kind of feelings for each other, that it is actually, you know, that it is tied into their, their werewolfiness as opposed to their humanity, which, you know, obviously their humanity is a big part of, of them as well. But um, I think that there's something going on there that wasn't just, you know, two guys having a chat about being a werewolf, if you know what I mean. It was, yeah, it was more than that. And I think that, you know, styles or you know Derek or anyone could have said the same things to him and it wouldn't have worked I I don't think it was just oh Liam said this thing that reminded him of who he was I think it was to do with the alpha beta bond and how you know whatever that actually entails on like a physical or chemical or you know instinctive level I really think the instinctive bond which they've never spoken about you know they've never They've said having betas makes you stronger and, like, losing one makes you feel, like, you know, bad and stuff, you know, losing a limb. And we've – I think one of the, the, the biggest things we've seen it with um, was actually um, Ennis back in uh, Season 3A when his beta, uh, I think called Marco or something, when, you know, he goes to the hospital to try and get his body and stuff like that and, like, his kind of emotional reaction – um, I don't think that we we haven't actually seen too much, you know, alpha beta bonds. A lot of the alphas we've seen don't have betas or a lot of, you know, the only one we've really seen is like terrible, um, you know, Derek being terrible with his teenagers. And I mean, <laughs> even they were very, you know, attached to him. But yeah, we haven't seen too much of what that bond entails and, you know, what it you know can cause people to, to do and feel. But I'm sure there's something more to it than just simple you know, chosen feelings. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah, definitely. And what I really loved about this scene was that it showed that this connection goes both ways because we, we've known the power that an alpha has over their beta. We saw that right in season one, when Peter was able to sort of control Scott. And so we knew that Scott had this connection with Liam and that it would help him get through the changes and whatever he was doing. And that 
that Scott would be able to control him in a way to make sure he wouldn't, you know, hurt anyone because Scott would never do anything, you know, control him in sort of like an evil mastermind kind of way. But I loved the fact that we saw that it happened the other way as well, that that Liam was the one person who could really get through to Scott, that that alpha beta connection was so important that he was able to kind of get through the berserker guys and stop Scott, because that that's pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, it is. And it's like, I don't know, it kind of makes me wonder, like, you know, it kind of makes me think of, like, you know, the sixth sense that people talk about, like, with, you know, either, like, you know, twins who, you know, oh, I know when my twin got hurt, or, like, mothers knowing that their baby's crying even when they can't hear them and stuff like that, you know? Kind of makes me think of that kind of thing as well. Yeah, definitely. So what ends up happening next is Scott breaks free of his berserker guys, and we basically realize that Peter is behind everything, and he wants power, and he wants to be the alpha. And, I mean, I don't think this was a shock to anybody, but it was nice seeing that everybody finally realized what Peter was up to. I didn't really get what happened here, honestly. Like, he, yes, he broke out of the, you know, the berserker suit, which is nice, and he became himself again, which is nice, but he had this realization about Peter, and it was, you know, just to do with, you know, apparently him being the only other person besides Chris who knew this much about the berserkers, so that he just, you know, he thought that, you know, he was in on the plot with Kate, or he taught Kate how to do that, and like we said earlier at the episode, we don't really know when this would have occurred, so we're not we're not too too sure about you know what that implication is. But yeah, what like did you get any impression of like how Scott realized this or when he realized it or or basically yeah how he finally saw through Peter? Because honestly, I didn't realize that the group thought Peter was like that good. If you know what I mean, like I thought that they knew he was like pretty much shady, especially after they just found out about the Deadpool. Like, not, you know, even though I actually don't blame him for the Deadpool still, um, you know, I, I didn't think that they actually trusted him, so... I don't think that they trusted him, but I don't think that they realized the extent to which he would go to get power. So I think it was still sort of surprising on that level. But to answer your question about how Scott knew, at first I thought it was just kind of like a logical conclusion that he came to because he he figured out that, yeah, the only other person who knew enough about Berserkers would have been Peter, and Peter's Mm. been hella shady, so of course this would have happened. But the thing is, Kate told her story in front of Scott when she was talking to Kira, and it makes mm. me wonder how aware Scott was while he was inside the yeah. berserker. Yeah, I mean, I did. Yeah, I did assume that like he'd kind of heard the story and worked out the person in the story was Peter. But yeah, that kind of sucks if he was like trapped in his own head while doing yes. that kind of stuff. Ugh, poor Scott. That's, I know. But, okay, time to talk about Derek. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> um, so we find out that Derek did not die, or maybe he did kind of die. I don't think he actually died, but he's still alive. That's the important thing. He comes back as a full-blown 
wolf, which is the black wolf that we've seen in the opening credits. And he says that he's evolved and now he's kind of, he's got his werewolf powers back. He has his blue eyes back and he is, you know, Jeff has said in some interviews after the finale aired that this is sort of like the zenith of his power. Like if you can transform into a full blown wolf, then, then you've got something pretty special. And this is what Derek has now. I'm happy for him. But I hate this evolution thing. You hate the word evolution? Well, no, no, not just that. There's no explanation for this. He just sat there and died and then apparently evolved into a full-blown wolf. We have no real explanation of how Kate's work was undone or why he got his powers back or how they evolved, if you know what I mean. Like, or if that was going on in the background the whole time. Like, we don't know, like, how you know, how his problem of his human, you know, his his powers being sapped away was solved, if you know what I mean. I I don't know if I'm missing something here, but I I don't think that it was explained very well in terms of, um, you know, them, you know, him basically dying and then coming back as this, uh, you know, newly improved Derek. Um, You know, was that just what happened to happen the whole time? Like, if you'd killed him at any point in this humanity thing, would he just you know, turned into the the mega wolf because they might have wanted to do that earlier if that was the case. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm into the fact that he is, like, so zen and beautiful and that he's, like, learnt from his experiences that he can be this, like, pure, you know, form, if you know what I mean, that, that like, his form of being a werewolf is, like, the not just the best and most powerful but sort of the most pure as well. Um, you know, in terms of being a, a, a good and lovely person and a, you know, respected person. And especially that he can do that without being an alpha, if you know what I mean, because we, we don't really, we didn't really know that, you know, betas or, you know, people who aren't alphas can, can do any kind of fancy transformation. But I don't know how it happened. I don't understand the evolution thing. Like, yeah, it's all very well and good for them to say, I was evolving. Okay, you, you're not giving me anything here. Like, you're not giving me any real answers as to how um, and, and you know, why Kate's thing was undone. Like, what kick-started it? Like, is it just like, oh, he's dying and then he evolved into the next thing? Like, is that was that – we don't even know what Kate was doing by yeah. de-aging him and none of that makes any sense to me still. Well, okay, here's my thought on this, because I think there's still plenty of unanswered questions, especially when it comes to Kate. But Mm -hmm. the only parallel that I can really, like, see is Jackson was the Kanama, and then Jackson died, and he came back as a werewolf, because he was sort of purged as the Kanama. And I think that... Derek was human, and he died, I guess. I guess we can say that. And because he had sacrificed himself, which was something that he had been struggling with for quite a while. I mean, he had wanted all the power like Peter did and finally gave it up. He's human now. He died. He put his life in front of, you know, he sacrificed himself for Scott and for everybody else, really. And that sort of allowed when he died to kind of go to this next form. And that's what ended up saving his life. Um, okay. 
I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but okay. I mean, obviously that's just a theory, but <laughs> I think that the closest thing we've seen to this so far has been Jackson's. Yeah, the Jackson's... Jackson thing I do get, I, I, but yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just disappointed that, um, you know, Scott didn't give him the bite, but, uh, yeah. but, but in general, I, I, and I love the result. Like, I love that he is like this pure zen natural wolf i think it's fantastic who can kill a berserker i mean yeah. that was pretty awesome also <laughs> naked and derek so much, and it's so much prettier than derek's like wolf transformation face if you know yes. what i mean but uh i just kept laughing like it was a very serious scene and i'm totally in love with it but i kept laughing because he is basically fighting everything naked and yeah, he definitely was he definitely was and i just i tried not to think uh, about it too much okay but. i'm crossing my fingers for some like awkward naked derek scenes like in the next <laughs> you know season like oh he does his transformation but he has to, like, untransform in the middle of, like, the street somewhere, like, in a populated <laughs> area, like, or something like that. <laughs> some, I really like, want this to be, like... behind a tree. Like a yes. meme, like an ongoing yes. joke. <laughs> yes, like a running gag where it's just like, oh, God, Derek's naked again. And everybody, yeah. like, turns around and someone just throws, like, a pair of pants in his face. Yeah, so- like, Styles carry- carries an extra pair of, like, jean shorts with him at all times or something like that. And he gets, like, great pleasure in, like, you know, carrying, like, the stupidest extra T-shirts with, like, lame logos on them and stuff like that. Like, and he, like, forces Derek to wear these, like, terrible clothes. And they're really tight, like, in that Miguel scene. Oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) I want it so bad. Okay. Anyway, enough about Naked Derek. Uh, Hopefully (laughs) we get more of that in season five. But (laughs) aside from that... Uh, Chris ends up shooting Kate with a yellow wolfsbane bullet. And I think this was a magic stuff he was growing in his like hydroponic weed, like lab or whatever he was doing. Like, exactly. And I think this was a long time coming. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, honestly, the line that he says perfectly sums it up. He says, I don't want to kill you, but I'm not sure I want to save you either. And I think that, I don't think there's really a whole lot more to say about that because that is literally just a perfect description. Obviously he doesn't want to kill his sister, but she's done some pretty terrible things and he's not sure that she's worth saving anymore. Yeah. What the hell is so special about this yellow wolfsbane? Is it like totally hard to grow? Does it only like bloom in the light of like the silvery moon once every like 14 months or something? Because like seriously, why aren't they using these trank bullets for everything? I think it's really rare. The thing is, is this different than the yellow wolfsbane that we saw Garrett and Violet use? I mean, I think so. I assume this is the yellow flower that he had in his, like, like his one plant in the middle of all his other plants, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but... But Garrett and them, like the orphans, they were saying how they had this yellow wolfsbane. It was really rare, and it was, like, super poisonous, yeah, well, maybe there's five million different types of Wolfsbane, you know, and I want the one that gives them the effect of acting like, you know, they're drunk. Like, well, I don't I don't want any rave music. I want, I want <laughs> Wolfsbane that, like, they, you know, can use like a casual party drug. <laughs> well, I mean, Peter was acting a little drunk at the oh end. Oh, my God, that episode, was so good. Which so we'll good. get to in a minute. But, yeah, I think that maybe we saw a little bit of that. Um, 
But yeah, so Kate runs off, and that's all whatever. Well, there was a lot of times in this episode I thought, you know, I thought half the cast were going to die, like, at different points. Yeah. Derek, I was like, okay, I don't think he's going to die, but they've kind of, if they've made it that, then all right. But then I thought, like, Brayden was going to die in his place. I thought both Chris and Kate were going to die, like, that they yes. were going to sort of die together, if you know what I mean. Like, yes. that, they, that, like, Chris would, you know, kill her or, you know, cause her to be killed but then sort of didn't want to actually, you know, okay, done my final bit, not carrying on, if you know what I mean. Not like a suicide, but kind of just like he was injured and let go, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, thought that, I thought that uh, Peter, I, I actually thought that Scott's, you know, last mega punch like broke Peter's neck and yep. that he yeah. killed, yeah, so so many people. I, I was surprised by the end. They're like, oh, Peter's alive. Oh, Kate's off. Oh, Chris is fine. Okay, okay, we're rolling with it. Like, yeah. I really didn't. I really thought like that. Quite a lot of characters had gotten their fatal blow, basically. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I can't believe I forgot to write this down. But let's not pass over the fact that Kate basically was doing all of this because she was pissed off at Scott and the others for the fact that Getting Allison, Allison died. killed. Yeah. Yes, and I think that was really good. I mean, when you kill off a major character like Allison, there needs to be this constant reminder that it's still affecting everybody. And I love the fact that Kate, I mean, horrible, horrible Kate, who is a horrible human being, let alone a horrible supernatural monster. Um, she, she cared a lot about Allison and for her, it all came back to that. And I love that Chris had that counter argument that was like, look, she died saving her friends. And obviously he's not okay with that. And he's still really upset about it, but she had sort of this, you know, going down and, and blazing glory type of death doing what she thought was right. And for Chris, mm -hmm. that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he's used to people close to him sort of dying in the line of duty, and for Allison, that's what that was. Kate's entire motivation, what, like, you know, was that her idea of punishing Scott for Allison's death? Like, or, you know, punishing all of them? Like, um, is, is that meant to be the whole thing, or was any of it just that she was crazy? Well, I definitely think she's crazy, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, she wanted to punish Scott. She wanted to turn him into a monster, and she wanted uh, his friends to end up killing him. Yeah, that's some pretty convoluted stuff, Kate. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of logic there, but, I mean, and I'm not defending Kate because she is a terrible human being, but mm -hmm. she has gone through a lot since we've seen her in season one. And, uh, yeah, I I guess I, I... I'm kind of glad she didn't die, actually, by the end of yeah. the episode. Because I just really love Jill Wagner, and I think she brings this incredible charisma to Kate, and I would really like to see more of her. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be gonna be interesting, and I'm um, you know if she's on the run, I'm curious. I I still think that her story might end up tying into this desert wolf stuff as well. Like, not that she is the desert wolf. We know, you know, we 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 know that she's not at this point, you know, and she's not Malia's mother or anything like that. Though it was kind of implied, not implied, but speculated for a while. Um, but yeah, she's on the run. You know, desert wolves running somewhere you know mysteries and so yeah could, could all cross paths later on 
Yeah, that would be cool. So, sort of wrapping up the episode, because we've got basically, you know, these bullet points of things being wrapped up here. First, we have Scott, who was fighting against Peter. Peter looked like he was winning, but Scott sort of looked to Liam when Peter threw, like, that bench or whatever it was at him, and he he wanted to defend Liam, and I think he finally embraced the fact that he had a pack, and he drew on that power, and all of a sudden, Peter was no match for him. And I, again, I love that we are seeing not only does the Alpha have this sort of connection and control over his betas, but his betas give him power and yeah. yeah it's been said before but having finally seen it was really really nice yeah like that whole like you know you're stronger with the pack um again it was like to me it was like again like one of those very uh intrinsic instinctive things again tied into that idea of of the beta you know the uncontrollable beta bond and it's like, you know, reminds me of those, you know, urban legends of, you know, mother lifting a car off their baby, if you know what I mean. That's kind of what it made me think of. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, Scott became like this ninja who could, like, you know, catch every <laughs> every punch Peter was throwing, basically. He just became this, like, super, like, you know, like, you know, fighter of, like, you know, something, you know, beyond his own consciousness. So that was that was nice, too. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then he, like, ends up, like, taking Peter out, and I basically thought that he'd killed him. I thought that it was going to be, like, you know, oh, that's his one kill, if you know what I mean. Like, because, oh, yeah, yeah, Peter already died, so it doesn't really count. It's not, like, that bad <laughs> that I've killed him, if you know what I mean. Like, he, you know, the natural order of things says he should be dead. It doesn't matter if I just take him out. He's he's already meant to have died twice. Um, You know, I'm just sort of <laughs> putting nature back to rights it's not actually like killing someone and i thought that he'd taken him out but then at the very end you know end of the episode we find out no they've just he punched him out and then and they've drugged him with yellow stuff to to get him back to to beacon hills and to i can yeah were you disappointed when you thought that peter was dead Uh, yes but i i mean i wasn't that surprised if you know what I mean I was I was a little bit there was I thought he was dead much more than I thought Derek was dead if you know what I mean yeah um also can I just say yes just throwing right back to when Derek was dead or dying Peter you know also looked concerned when they were leaving Derek yes Peter definitely Peter does care about Derek and I think it's little things like that. And I mean, I think this is just like Ian Bowen's battle of wills with the writers, if you know <laughs> what I mean, in terms of giving Peter redeemable qualities. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, they can give him whatever scripts they want to make Peter evil, but they can't take away the looks on his face. Um, and he still definitely, you know, puts a lot of depth into his looks. And, you know, for better or worse, he does actually seem to care about Derek, whether that's just because he cares about, like, the honour of his family, even if Derek is just, like, one pathetic little corner of his family left or whatever. Um, but, yeah, he, you know, when Derek was like, no, you go, all go on without me, um, you know, Peter was looking very hurt and worried, so there was that, you know, little bit of niceness, I guess. I was disappointed, you know, at the idea that he was dead, but I was overall more disappointed at him just being that outright evil and dumb. Like, 
not that the writing is dumb, just he is a character. He's really dumb. Like, if he's like, <laughs> if he thinks this is a solution, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, and we don't know if this is like, oh, he's still a little bit crazy or if this is totally like conscious in his idea of logic, if you know what I mean. Like, because he seems to have this idea, you know, that he, you know, that Scott stole this power that he doesn't deserve uh, from the Hale, you know, the legacy of the Hales or whatever, you know, because Peter was the Alpha and then he wasn't anymore and now Scott's the Alpha. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not precisely how it worked. But, um, you know, he thinks that, you know, he should still be an, an Alpha of the Hales and that he wants to take that from Scott, which is getting into a little bit of delusional territory. So I don't know how sane Peter is. Um, you know, I think we're meant to get the impression that he's sane but super evil. And, and he's healthier not... now. <laughs> yeah, I think we're meant to think that he's sane but really evil, and that's not my favourite idea of Peter. I can take crazy and I can take sane and, like, like very complex but slightly remorseful, but I don't like the idea of him being sane and super evil, so that will always kind of disappoint me. I mean, I think that's just, you know something you know for Ian Bowen in the same way that Jeff said like you know you know it's a sign of you know just someone's work as an actor that you really don't want to kill them off and you do anything against killing them off and you keep bringing them back which is what they've done with Peter Mm -hmm. um so they clearly you know like his work a lot as well um I just don't know where he'll go from here if you know what I mean like you know you know will he finally you know will this be the thing that turns him about around to being you know, redeemed, like, you know, once and for all, he went for his power and then realized it was a bad plan. They show him doing some pretty crappy stuff, like, you know, smacking Malia across the room and stuff like that, so... We'll talk about this later, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah that like, was, that was gross, I think, so... Yeah. I think with Peter, my general stance is that I, I would have been okay if he had died because I think that would have been an appropriate solution to the problem. And I think that if, I mean, I never want Scott to kill anybody, but if he's going to kill somebody like Peter would have been acceptable, I think. But at the same time, I'm really, really glad that he didn't die for Scott's sake, but also um, just because the end of the episode where we, the last time we see him was so interesting and, uh, I, I'm really excited to explore that part. But uh, before we get there, I, I want to talk about Chris leaving with the Calaveras to go after Kate because I, I'm really glad that he has this mission because I'm really afraid when he no longer has a mission, no longer has like a reason to live, mm-hmm. he's just going to let go. And I really thought that's what was going to happen at the end of this episode, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that he's decided to go with the Calaveras after Kate, you know, he's he's still trucking along, and that makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't sound too thrilled about it, obviously. He doesn't really want to hunt down his own sister, but, um, you know, he seems to still have some sort of hope of, you know, getting her, even though, you know, even despite what he said to her. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it found out he made a deal weeks ago with the Calaveras to leave Scott's pack alone, that they're not going to... Because right at the beginning of the season, you know, you see Araya being like, you know, just you wait, Scott, wait till you bite someone and I cross the border and come and hunt you. Apparently that's not going to be happening now, so we have some more, like, semi-allies for Scott and his pack, I suppose. 
so I guess, yeah, I mean, Araya discovered, you know, what kind of alpha Scott is, uh, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how this will be for Chris, this, this journey of hunting Kate. Me neither. I just hope we see it in season five. I really want to revisit that. Mm. We also find out that Brayden was a U.S. Marshal. <laughs> that this wasn't just like a joke or a disguise, a cover, which I think is amazing because I really thought it was a cover the whole time. But she was a U.S. Marshal. Well, it, is, it was a cover the whole time you've seen it. But like, you well, know, yeah, it didn't come she- from nowhere. Right, right. But her obsession with the desert wolf made it hard for her to keep her job because she was always looking for this desert wolf, which obviously, you know, bells should be going off because, uh, like you said in the beginning of this episode, this is sort of like her mystery, but it also ties in with Malia because we know the desert wolf is Malia's mother. So pretty, pretty cool connection there, I think. And, I mean, it sounds like she was kind of a shady character, the Desert Wolf, as well, if the U.S. Marshals were after her. And, as well, you know, she was one of the people that um, that Peter named in terms of the list of assassins that, you know, killers that the Deadpool could go out to when he was doing his ranting and ravings. So, yeah, I mean, it could be even that, you know, the Desert Wolf, isn't Malia's mother, but the Desert Wolf was responsible for Malia's mother's death or something like that. Like, you know, we, we know that it's a connection to Malia's mother, but we don't know whether it's actually her mother. I mean, I think it is, but there could be some options there, if you know what I mean. There could be some some different um, some different options as to who the hell this person is. Uh, presumably someone we've never seen before or anything like that. It's not just going to turn around and be like, lol, Melissa McCall is the Desert Wolf. <laughs> Oh. oh, man, that would be a twist. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I would be okay with that. No, uh, I don't I, think that's what it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to have a brand new female character who obviously can take care of herself. I would be okay if she was kind of shady as long as she wasn't, like, downright evil. I don't think Malia needs that in her life considering yeah. Peter is her father. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to be... know how she and Peter hooked up. Like, I want to know. know how this even happened. Yeah. Um, and if she's really bad, then that makes me wonder about, you know, we've asked many times that, you know, why Talia took that memory from Peter about, you know, what could have Peter done when he was, you know, 19 or 20 years old or however old he was when he, you know, had Malia. What could have he done that's so bad that made Talia just think he shouldn't have the, you know, child and nothing? You know, what if it wasn't him? You know, what if it was her? Like, what if it was like, no, little brother, you must not associate with that bad lady. You must forget that this ever happened, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Wow. I would love some more Talia flashbacks for yeah. season five with yeah. this storyline. That would be really awesome. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm just Another thinking highlight. about wolf. Maybe, maybe Derek will go into the dream state and his wolf will talk to his mummy's wolf. Aww. Okay. Um, (laughs) Another highlight for the end of this episode for me was the fact that Kira's father turned that piece of obsidian she used to heal herself into a throwing star, which was Kira's first tale. I really wasn't expecting this to happen, and it was a nice twist, a nice another 
look into the lore of the Kitsune. And uh, yeah, I I really hope they they uh, explore her powers more in season five because I think she she needs a little bit more than just you know her sword play, which is obviously amazing but i think she would be a much stronger opponent against people they're fighting if she could rely on her electricity more yeah i mean i'm surprised that tales are things that they had to be uh found if you know what i mean or uh obtained or created like you know i was under the impression that they just pardon like earned almost yeah um i mean i was kind of thinking you know originally that they were like like they just had them if you know what i mean in to start with you know and then they eventually got knocked off like you know nine lives of a cat or whatever as opposed to like building them up and then potentially getting them taken away if you want to use up the power yes. from them. It seems like, you know, you, 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 you know, use a certain amount of power and you obtain one, if you know what I mean, like, you know, that you, you know, and that it kind of stores power. And then obviously we learn, you know, later that you can, you know, break them to use up the power for, you know, whatever you're doing, like making Oni or whatever it is you want to do with, with the tail power. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't expecting kind of the, the build up as well as the breaking down. I kind of thought it was like, oh, you start with nine and then you break, you know, you lose them. Mm -hmm. And I love that, uh, Jeff on Wolfwatch said that nine, a nine tailed kitsune is like the most powerful kitsune, but there's also a thousand tailed kitsune. And while I can imagine if Kira went through all of that to get her first tail, what it means to be a thousand-tailed kitsune. And I don't <laughs> know if that's even possible for Kira to build up to something like that. But I love the idea that perhaps, you know, as powerful as Nishiko was, maybe Kira will even surpass that. And I would love to keep seeing her collect these tales over the course of the series because she obviously has to go through a lot to get them and I think that's just like a really intriguing sort of side point to her character I also appreciate that they're not I also appreciate that they're not literal tales and that no one in this <laughs> in this show has a literal tale except yes. Derek now <laughs> that's true Aw, Derek has a tale yeah. I really liked that um, her her tail was a throwing star. I thought yeah. that was cool. And I don't know if she's going to end up using it, because obviously that's kind of dangerous, but uh, I would love to see that, though. Yeah. But, you know, because Nishiko's with those kind of knife blade things, I wonder what else they could be, if they could be, like, you know, hair bows or door stops or anything, you know, like... <laughs> door stops. They, they have to be some form of weapon, like... Um, like forks. What if I want nine obsidian forks to be my my tails? Nine obsidian fox. Forks. A fork. 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 Like what you eat with? Yes, a fork. Okay, I thought you were saying fox, like you know the phoenix, and I got really confused. Oh, I'm sorry. Accents. <laughs> Forks, okay. I'll, I'll try and say forks like you, shall I? Um, I can't. I don't think it sounds too stupid. Um, <laughs> not from you. It sounds stupid. Like oh, to me it doesn't okay. sound any different. Anyway, forks, forks. Do I have to do this? Forks. Oh, that was good. No, that's, that doesn't even sound like a word on my end. Anyway, 
Let's move on. Um, anyway, yeah, like nine obsidian teacups or something, you know? Like, Ooh, I could get behind that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then uh, we find out that they put the bestiary into an actual book. Hooray! This is really exciting to me. As somebody who was... I'm sorry, I'm bringing in another Charmed reference. Uh, somebody who was always obsessed with the Book of Shadows from Charmed and wanting to actually get my hands on, like, a physical copy of it and just knowing that you could flip to any page and there's, like, this new information... Uh, of course, the Book of Shadows kind of grew on its own, but I I just love that they have a physical copy of the Bestiary now, and that Lydia really wants to help Parrish figure out what he is. Yeah, I mean, and then obviously they uh, put those drawings in it, you know, we from the from the sample Bestiaries that they gave out at Comic Con as well, which is nice. But yeah, Parrish and Lydia, I mean. Still no uh, progression there in terms of terms of the romance, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to let it kind of simmer for a little while. I'm yeah. curious as to uh, who actually created the bestiary. I mean, it's a little detail, but if Lydia drew the pictures in there, because you know we know she's supposed to be like a pretty good artist, but uh, I think that would be cool just to see her kind of going through the book like that yeah yeah it was it was nice i um yeah i would like lydia i don't know obviously she had a reason like not to be in the thick of the action this episode but i did miss her a bit for the finale i missed her a lot in this season i mean she she's been around and the parts that were centered around her, were very concentrated and very detailed and gave us a lot about her and her family mm. and about Banshees, but they were they were spaced out a lot, and uh, I just, I miss her kind of being in the thick of the action, and I think there was a reason, like in this episode, where she wasn't meant to be there, that, you know, that was kind mm. of part of the plot, which is totally fine, but I hope in season five, as she helps Parrish figure out what he is and maybe learn more about his powers. She can learn more about hers as well and, and be a little bit more uh, integrated into everything. Yeah. Yeah. So last point is that Peter gets locked up in Eichenhaus and yeah, he's basically drunk on yellow wolf's <laughs> which was hilarious. And his accent goes all Southern. Yes, it does. Okay, I I don't think you've seen The Walking Dead, but he, no. he reminds me of Merle Dixon, who has this <laughs> very strong. Well, it's um Yandu from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Same guy, same actor. Karen, Karen, I haven't seen it yet. Oh no. Ah. <gasps> uh. All right, what? we're gonna talk about that later. But anyway, I hate space, Karen. What? I hate anything in space. Okay. Anyway, um, you're like, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm just going to get through this last point and then we're done professionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for anyone who hasn't seen The Walking Dead but has seen Guardians of the Galaxy, Yondu, same actor. Okay. Um, but he has this very strong southern accent and it's um, just kind of like this hillbilly backwoods sort of guy. And yeah, I mean, that's basically what Peter sounds like drunk, apparently, which... <laughs> was amazing but he ends up in a cell with dr valak and he i feel like it's a bad plan for them to like be sharing like 
cells in this institution. I do too, but I I think that it's it's worse for Peter. Like I don't think the two of them are really going to team up. I think Yeah. I think maybe the consequences of them being in the same cell will mean Peter goes even crazier than he already is, but I don't think they're going to team up and, like, take over the world or anything. No, no, and, I mean, Peter seems pretty freaked out when he had to look in the magic eye, so, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I just seem feel like, you know, for everyone's well-being, you know, which is, you know, somewhat of a concern even when you're in a kind of, you know, prison or institution. I mean, Eichenhaus isn't fantastic at that, but they are meant to kind of have people's well-being in mind. Uh, I don't think that they should be having people sharing rooms, really, um, especially people who are that, like, risky to each other. Yeah, and that's my thing. Everything that we've heard of Dr. Valak so far, which granted isn't much, kind of paints him as this really, really horrible dude that you don't even have to be in the same physical room as him and you can still be affected by him, obviously, if, you know, it happened to Deaton. And so he seems like a dangerous dude and Peter's pretty dangerous, too. But to put anyone in that cell kind of feels like a death sentence to me. I don't know. But I'm really happy that Dr. Valak is back. I hope he comes back for season five. I'm really interested to learn more about him. But also, and I've been saying this since episode one of the podcast, we got another little look into what this world of Teen Wolf contains with this, you know, passageway to Eichenhaus. And I feel like they're really expanding the universe. And I really, really want to explore that in season five now that we have a physical copy of the bestiary, now that we know mm-hmm. that um, what, like, Eichenhaus has that secret floor with all these creatures. And uh, it's so exciting. And I mean, obviously, we've got our, you know, good friend Parrish to discover as well. And yes. <sighs> yes. So overall, what did you think of this episode as a finale to season four? Um, I liked it. As I said, I, I liked the results, but I'm not too sure about the execution on how they got to the results for some of the things. Like, uh, as I said, kind of the, the Kate and Peter explanation and Derek's evolution as well. Um, Scott and Liam, I, I really like that kind of solution. Uh, but Again, I, I kind of want I want tangible evidence of this, uh, you know, m- magical alpha beta bond. I want, you know, someone to sit down and have a talk about it on the show, if you know what I mean. Like, why do I have all these feelings for this guy I barely know? <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's like, honey, it's called puberty. No, not really. <laughs> um, I'm joking. Um, but, like, you know, it's for them to address that their connection is, like, even if it was done in a kind of funny way or, like, Styles doing it and being, you know, like, being like, Scott, you and Liam are getting kind of creepy about each other. Obviously, there's going to be a bit of, of fun with that because of that cute scene with Coach at the end as well. Yes. Which was which was great. It but, was. But, you know, even if it was played with Styles being kind of funny and, like, you know, you and, you and Liam, like, I know that you guys are like, and Scott's like, I don't know how to explain it, man. It's just, like, it feels different. Like, it's not just, like, a normal friend and, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, yeah, and... And I would like some explanation of the alpha-beta kind of instinctive bond. Um, we've obviously got a lot in terms of, like, oh, being around him calms me, but I want it put into words that it's different, basically. Um, yeah. I'm just really hung up on that, apparently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty glad no one died. 
but the fact that no one died kind of made it feel like a little bit less of a like massive climax. I don't know. I I feel like this really opens the door to season five, which, yeah, I can understand how, like, there weren't any serious consequences to what we've been building up to the entire season. But I, I feel like they've kept so much of the story open to go into season five that I'm really OK with the fact that nobody died. But oh, I'm OK me- with it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> For me, I I don't know. I love this episode. I think, yeah, I still definitely have some questions. Um, I'm actually going to do up an article like the top ten questions we have mm-hmm. from season four that we want to see answered in season five and put that on Hypeable uh, sometime very soon. But I, I thought this was a fantastic episode. Definitely have some questions. Definitely not sure about some timeline stuff but overall I think the character growth was fantastic there were some really deep scenes and some really funny moments and uh it was just it was just a good entertaining episode and I think for a finale it really wrapped up a lot of stuff that I was curious about and opened the door to other things as well yeah no I mean I'm very very happy with it I was just kind of possibly bracing myself for more given past events, I think. Yes, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) So I think that's pretty much it for the recap section. Wow, yay, season four. Yeah, so I guess we'll jump into the non sequitur. Yeah, I mean, we don't have much. uh, We actually haven't really gone looking uh, honestly, because, you know, it's finale and everything's a giant mess, but, like, feedback and stuff like that. Uh, but we're definitely going to be doing some episodes in the, uh, you know, interim period between now and season five. Um, so we're going to have plenty of time to read meta and feedback and, you know, qu- you know, questions and all of that kind of stuff from, from season five. You know, we could probably do a whole episode just on, you know, just dis- submitted discussion points from people probably. Um, and, and yeah, so we're not going to get into sort of feedback right now. We're just going to leave the episode alone, but Karen, you know, if you want to take, take it away with a non sequitur section, um, just to, uh, to finish us up, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. I was wondering what was the one thing you always thought you would be or do when you grew up? I never had anything. Really? Yeah. I've never had goals my entire life. Stuff just happens to me. I've never had anything that I really wanted. Really? Yep. Um, wow. T- like, I remember actually really struggling with this at school in terms of, like, personal development class and their, like, goal setting and stuff. I'm like, I don't really even understand. Like, I was like, I don't get it. Like, and I literally had to make stuff up and lie to pass. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've never had goals. I, I've got stuff that I want to do, but I sort of set out and do it. And it's, it's more like little things. Like, I want to go to this. I want to – but I've never, like, oh, I want to write a book or I want to, you know, uh, do things. I mean, pretty – from a pretty young age, like, uh, probably from the first time I went to London when I was about eight or something like that, apparently after that, like – um from my ex-stepmother who was British and then lived in Australia with us, I used to, like, always talk about going back there to live. Like, even from my first visit, I felt very in tune with it and I really wanted to go back there. And then I um, was meant to, when I was, like, 
18 and then something really weird happened and it all got changed. And then I did when I was like 20 and then I still go back to the UK fairly often. But that's like just like not really like something I wanted to be. It was just like something I wanted to to do, but not really in an achievement way, just in a kind of. Uh, yeah, but no, I never had like, oh, I, when I grow up, I want to be or whatever. Like from a very extremely young age, um, I probably said I wanted to be a vet just because I liked animals, but it was like very passing because I then, you know, learned more things and was like, yeah, I don't think I could do that if you know what I mean. I've never had like full-time goals ever. Wow. I think that's really interesting. You're like, that's really pathetic and sad. No, (laughs) I think because for me, I've always been like an overachiever and I've always wanted to do everything. And so to kind of just like sit back and see what happens, like blows my mind in a good way. It's Uh, not exactly, I mean, it's not exactly like, you know, you're making it sound like really chill. It's not exactly like that. It's more just that I'm pathetic and I don't care. No, (laughs) I don't believe that. But. Um, I always thought I would be some sort of scientist, which is really hilarious given what I do now, but I... A mushroom scientist. (laughs) Mycologist. Um, Is um, that a thing? I think so. You know the word for a mushroom scientist? Yeah, because... I, I'm part of a mycological society, so... Right, I'm looking it up. Anyway, go on. Sorry, okay. I'm listening. So, when I was a pretty young kid, like, under 10 still, uh, I wanted to be a heart surgeon. I don't really know why, but, uh, I don't know, maybe it had to do with the fact that, like, my grandpa had a heart attack and, like, he had long lived past when they said that he would because of all of his heart conditions and stuff. But I was very interested in being heart surgeon and until my dad kept calling it a sturgeon, which if nobody knows is a really, really fish. Yes. Really, really ugly deep sea fish. And I (laughs) was like, no dad, I don't want to be a sturgeon. I want to be a surgeon. So. And uh, you got put off. Maybe, but then I wanted to be a forensic scientist, and that almost happened. I was actually looking into colleges for it, and uh, the college that I ended up going to had a very good forensic science program, and I, but I didn't end up going for forensic science. I completely changed my mind, went from science to the arts got an art history degree and decided now that I would love to be a writer. So I always thought I was going to be some kind of scientist. And then I went in completely the opposite direction. Like my brother was always like, oh yeah. Like when he was a little kid, he was like, I want to be an author. And alternately he'd be like, I want to be a chef. And he's pretty much like, he hasn't actively pursued that in terms of like, he hasn't actively been like, oh, I've been writing my whole life. But he's sort of come around to the point where his main things now are like, are like academia, like like doing really like wanky additions to his you know degree and stuff like that, and like working like as um like a cook with with catering and potentially starting his own like small catering thing. So he's sort of come around to the stuff that he always said since he was a small child. Um, but yeah, I just. No, I remember in high school, like, sort of not pretending to have goals exactly, but, like, yeah, like, kind of being, you know, for a few years being like, oh, yeah, I want to do this um, just because, I I don't know, it wasn't really real, though. It was like, 
it wasn't something I actually wanted. It was just something like to say pretty much because everyone else was. But yeah, I, I definitely remember being in like personal development classes and therapy and stuff like that. And people be like, so talk about your goals. And I'm like, I literally like, I'm like, I'm not trying to be like a stampy foot, not participate. I just don't know what you're talking about. Like, I just, I can't actually do this realistically, if you know what I mean. I, yeah, it's weird. And I mean, I'm sure there were like fleeting moments, but you know, you seem to have been, you know, really, you know, really stuck in, in the same sort of path or the same ideas. And I just don't, don't remember I had things I liked I just didn't have things I wanted like <laughs> all, all I wanted to was to read and you know ride horses you know I wanted to be a medieval knight basically <laughs> I mean not realistically but like you know <laughs> that was kind of you, you know. could have been like gone to like a company like a renaissance festival type thing and been like a jousting yeah, so apparently I didn't want it that much. I mean, I didn't act. <laughs> I, I wasn't delusional about being medieval. Not <laughs> no, but I never had. I never had goals. Like when I grew up, I want to be like I never had that. Well, that's anyway depressing. <laughs> I don't find it depressing, but again, it's not as chill as your you made out either. It's not just like oh, you just go with the flow. It's just I don't know. I just don't really care what happens to me. I don't think. Well, on that note, <laughs> no more T-Mobile so, I guess that, I'm, like Derek, I'm like Derek Hale, so I'll have to get, like, you know, I'll have to get some goals to become a giant black wolf. How about that? Well, I hope you don't almost have to die in order for that to happen. Yeah. Like, even with Hyperball, like, I literally fell into it by accident, and all of the stuff that has happened to me here has been sort of incidental opportunities. Like, I never before I started, like, on the first podcast I was on with Hyperbole and then got asked to do a bit of new stuff to do with that, I'd, like, never considered, like, writing journalistic articles or, like, anything ever. Before. Like, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I want to join that, if you know what I mean. I got recommended um, for for the podcast and I didn't expect to get it and got it and then the writing stuff just, like, happened accidentally. Like, it wasn't on purpose at all so yeah it's weird but oh well <laughs> sorry this is like i feel like this is depressing and it's not meant to be it, oh, well. and now we don't have teen wolf for like a really long time oh, well but... that's more depressing than my lack of goals <laughs> but the good thing is we have some really special episodes coming up for you guys uh which i will not spoil because they're pretty freaking awesome and uh, we've got a lot of open space for hiatus, though. I haven't actually yeah. sat down and planned anything. So if you guys have any ideas, please let us know what you want us to discuss. We're going to go back to doing an episode every other week. And we'll try to get some interviews. We'll try to get some guest hosts and, uh, you know, take suggestions for for what kind of episodes you want to see. Yeah, I mean, not going to lie to you guys, it probably won't be weekly. Um, we'd aim for once every two weeks, I'd say, um, you know, uh, you know, depending on, on people's schedules. But given that it's not going to be a weekly uh, show, um, you know, obviously Team Wolf airing, um, you know, I think Karen and I are both on about four four podcasts at the moment or something. So mm-hmm. um, how many have you got at the moment? Uh, once once a bull comes back for once upon a time, it will be four. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I've got 
yeah, Who Hype, Doctor Who, which has just started again. Um, Glee Chat, where we're doing uh, flashbacks to the first two seasons, so like rewatches. Uh, and then obviously this, and then rewatchable as well for Avatar: The Last Airbender. And yeah, so I'll be doing like two a weekend, basically, if we if we shift recording for this to the weekend. So yeah, I mean it should it should be manageable, but it probably won't be weekly. I don't think, um, unless Karen really wants it to be. But you know, <laughs> I. I think we're all pretty excited for Hades just to kind of chill for a little bit yeah. because it has been pretty whirlwind since uh, 3B started, actually, because even the hiatus between 3B and 4 was crazy for us. So, um, yeah, once every two weeks, and we'll still have some pretty fantastic things to, to bring out for you guys, but um, we're just going to kind of chill for a little bit, I think, take a little bit of a break. Yeah, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's about it until our first hiatus episode then, so I guess thank you to everyone for listening and hanging out with us and, you know, continuing to watch Teen Wolf through season four. (sighs) Do you have a number one desire for season five, Karen? Hmm. I think, oh man, that's really hard. You know, I think I'm going to say finding out what Parrish is. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'd probably say that as well, honestly. Um, I can't think of anything else. I really wanted the Scott and Derek bite thing to happen. Uh, I did too, but I'm actually really excited for how I mean, this ended up happening. I mean, I'm kind of fine with how it ended, ended up, and, like, there seems to be something really then about Derek. Like, once he turned back into, like, the like the person after being the wolf, and, like, he seemed like a whole different person. So I'm, I'm curious to see, like, you know, what he's going to be like after that, basically. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I'd like to just see you know more of more of Derek being non angry and I guess finding out what Parrish is as well. Cool. All right. So shall we say good night then, or good morning, or good afternoon, and <laughs> and yeah, we'll leave you now. Um, you know, for the finale of Teen Wolf. So bye bye. Bye. When I was sixteen, my senses.